hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 283 for October 10th, 2023. Tonight we're going to be discussing the Spiderwick Chronicles Finds a New Home, Disney Imagineer Robot, Beer Faces the Great Debittering, Edible Cookie Dough Recalled, Mob Voting Goes Meta, The Pandemic Changed Commuting Patterns, Future medicines may be lost. Copper and cobalt monitored from space. Disney and the curse of the AI. And Thick Pumpkin 2023. Next on Hometown Daily. Hello, hello. I am Marwat. That is hometown.com. That, that, that right that that over there that wait all of that over there that and up there is the ai that keeps track of me do you want to want to say hi oh great AI. good evening hometown citizens i'm not worthy i'm not worthy so uh i guess there was an accident right before we started the stream um all oh, wacky citizens of hometown I tell you, but that's okay. You know what doesn't get impacted by that? Unless I make it an issue, the show. So we've already set up all the pins. Let's knock them down. The very first article is over in continuity report. Disney canceled the uh, Spiderwick Chronicles. Well, it found a new streaming home. I absolutely love the Spiderwick Chronicles and the whole idea. It's world building. Seems like a lot of fun. What was interesting about the Spiderwick Chronicles is that I had never heard of that. I had heard of it, but I never read anything. Um, I had seen the movie later on, but I remember telling um, a citizen of hometown about an idea for writing a story. And that, that idea was basically that there was an alternate universe. And when I was driving down the road, I would pretend that leaves blowing across the street were actually entities from this alternate uh, reality that you, you couldn't see. And you humans uh, reinterpreted things that were fantastical as natural phenomena, right? So an astro a meteorite falling to earth was a meteorite falling to earth, but in the supernatural, fantastical world, it was something else, like somebody coming to visit the planet. Um, and leaves blowing across the street were actually critters. Um, and tumbleweed was something, and uh, it was just something that was really fun. And then I saw Spiderwick Chronicles and subsequently read um, Spiderwick, Spiderwick Chronicles. And um, that's basically what's going on. So it was a lot of fun to um, to see it actually come into existence, um, even though it had been around prior to me, you know, coming up with an idea. Well, in November 2021, Disney announced that it had greenlit a live action Spiderwick Chronicles series based on the best selling uh, books by Tony DiTerlizzi, um and Holly Black. The project went into production in September 2022, completed filming in early 2023. However, Disney decided not to move forward with the eight episode series 
in August 2023 for cost-cutting reasons, which I think are dumb. <laughs> um, so this article over at comingsoon.net, written by Brandon Schreuer. Um, basically, they talk about that over here at this thing. It's been picked up by Roku, so I probably won't be able to watch it because I don't have Roku. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe it'll get released separately and I'll be able to just buy it. Uh, but I love the idea of Spider Spiderwick Chronicles. So if you out there, uh, dear listeners or viewers from beyond hometown, um, find interest in this fantastical kind of writing, you know, and then see it translated from book prose into live action. Um, go check it out. It says it's an honor to bring the Spiderwick Chronicles, a spectacular adventure-filled story led by the incredible Christian Slater of all people and Joy Bryant exclusively to the Roku channel. It might be because Christian Slater is off the radar. Doesn't seem to be. I mean, if I were to ask anybody, so today I spoke to 60 people. Um, if I were to say, and the, the, these are groups of people. So, um, I spoke to 60 people. If I were to say, do you know who Christian Slater is? I really doubt that these particular people would have even said what, like maybe two out of the 60. Anyway, so I don't this think is, most people know unless you're in the right generation. Yeah. Um, which I guess is okay. But if you're going to, <laughs> if you're going to spearhead the launch of a new IP, I, I suppose Christian Slater isn't necessarily the one, unless the other people are just as star studded, you know, um, or I should say, like Christian Slater would draw in certain people, right? That that know who Christian Slater is. But if you don't have others that are more apropos for today's viewer, they're not going to relate. And so they're going to go, what is this? You know, get off my lawn kind of stuff. Uh, so it's a real bummer that it's going to be kind of meh. Um, at least in my opinion, maybe it'll become uh, a cult uh you know favorite um so we cannot wait to introduce this exquisitely crafted series imagined by a world-class creative team to millions of streamers i hope they do better marketing than this so what is the chronicles uh spiderwick chronicles about the spiderwick chronicles follows the coming of age story of the grace family as they move from New York to Michigan and into their family's ancestral home, the official synopsis reads, upon arrival, the family not only uncovers mysteries hidden inside their great-grandfather's Spiderwick estate, but also discovers a secret, fantastical world around them. Damn it, if I wasn't the one that wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it wasn't me. I, I'm not the writer of this, but it basically is what I've been saying. Um, the only thing that's kind of weird about this is the the coming of age story isn't about the entire grace family it's about the kids um so because the for much of it the 
family, as far as I recall, the family itself is not there, uh, but the kids are. They come and go. Along with Slater and Bryant, the series stars uh, Noah Cottrell, uh, Leon Daniels, Michaela Lee, Jack Dylan Grazer, also voices a character named Thimbletack, which is like a little gnome kind of a thing. Um, not little, little, but anyway, the first two series, uh, uh, first two episodes of the series are directed by Kat Cairo. Cairo also serves as an executive producer alongside a uh, man. All of these names I'm just butchering. Coliette, I guess. Dieter Lisi, Black, Ellen Goldsmith Vane, um, Jeremy Bell, DJ Goldberg, Julie Kane Rich, and Grace Gilroy. I didn't think that I was going to read 90% of this article, but apparently I did. <laughs> um, go and check out comingsoon.net. They always have some really great articles um, about pretty much everything entertainment. Um, they're going to be... Um, something that gets periodically discussed here in the continuity report, which is one of the shows that I would, uh, I'm going to be launching in 2024. Um, uh, everything now, all of the ducks are in a row. Um, we are aggregating enough content to do a niche show and it'll be news. It won't be particularly highlighting a particular show all the time. Um, but we might, transition from news to actually doing um kind of a uh, uh what do they call it where they watch the shows together oh my goodness um dang on it so what we'll end up doing is setting aside once a week um for up to two hours where you watch along uh with us um, the sentient AI and, um, and myself and what will be right there will be an obfuscated view of the video that we are watching. Um, and we will from time to time play the audio and like stop the movie and rewind it and hit play and, and, sh and like talk about the cinematography and whatnot, um, in greater depth for, you know, we'll grab a, a movie that's an hour and 20 minutes and it'll be you know, like a two hour show, uh, but it'll be once a week and fall under the continuity report and it will take the place of the news, but it's not going to happen every time. But when we do it, it'll be once a week. Continuity report will be once a week, no matter what. Though. Know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so anyway, the uh, next article, let's keep on going. Uh, this next article is over in Omtown Daily. Disney Imagineering's latest robot looks right out of Star Wars. Um, a person who creates um, IP and products within Disney are typically referred to, and not everybody gets this title, but they're called an Imagineer. Um, I had been trying for years i'd probably say at least 20 years trying to get the domain imagineer um but the person that owned it uh rebuffed 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 and then i think now if you go there it actually goes to disney i think i haven't bothered in years because i kind of gave up but um 
I loved the name Imagineers because, um, and I didn't know at the time that Disney actually had that kind of hard coded into its ideology. Um, and then when I discovered that Disney really bought into it, that I was like, Oh, okay, I'm not going to bother with it. Um, cause they can trademark it at any time and it would neuter any development, but, um, I wanted it for my business stuff. So Disney Imagineering, the entertainment giants research and development department has a knack for creating technologically advanced robots like this hyper-realistic Navi shaman at Disney world. We're going to take a look at it when we go over to the verge. Um, but its latest development might be the most adorable creation to date, which doesn't necessarily mean straight out of star Wars. At the International Conference on Intelligent Robots and Systems in Detroit last week, Disney unveiled a new nameless bipedal robot that can walk, it says waddle, unassisted and remain balanced even when shoved and navigate difficult terrain and have obstacles put in its path. So, oh my God. I mean, okay. they could make like a little movie around that. I'm sure. Oh my gosh, this is like Johnny Five. The next Johnny and... Five, exactly. <laughs> but it's like a merge between um, what is it? Uh, the little bot. Uh, yeah, the one from the other robot movie. <laughs> Dog on it. <laughs> I feel so old. Uh, what's it called? Um. I hate when this happens. You'll have to look it up because I, I can't. Okay, well, anyway. Um, yeah, what is it? Wally. Wally, thank you. I, I kept wanting to say Eddie, but it's Wally. I should have just said it. Um, but Ed209 is the other bot that it reminded me of, which you don't want it to be Ed209 because that's from Robocop and it lost control of its faculties and shot up somebody. Um, totally not a Disney thing that you want waddling around your place. Okay, so um, Imagineers have done some pretty amazing things like room scale transmission of low voltage wireless power. They actually have um, like a demonstration model of a room that was filled with five volts. So you could put something down that has a receiving station and it would actually power itself up because the room is filled with wire. It would transmit wireless power. Um, and that's Tesla's work. That That is not... That's a, a amazing uh, to me. So wireless transfer of power, you'd be able to just put a lamp down on the floor and an LED light would power up. Pretty amazing. So let's take a look at this. Um, I, I really, I, I would rather you just go and you check out this article um, after you watch this video. And if you're in chat or if you're over on YouTube, um, or you're listening to the podcast, now would be the time to go and click on one of the show notes and follow the link through hometown. But here we go. It is a YouTube video. It's uh, titled a new approach to Disney's robotic character pipeline. So I'm going to hit play and then mute it. Oh my God. Oh my God. I want this thing. <laughs> It's yeah. this little bipedal <laughs> robot and it kind of waddles. And right now it looks like it's dancing. Um, <laughs> they're pulling a, a curtain out from under it 
and it's staying upright it's balancing now they're like walking it on a leash which i am not too particularly happy with but it has two little antennas that wiggle as well uh, but it doesn't have any arms it only has legs so it's kind of like a robotic chicken but it makes it even cuter <laughs> oh and it's walking around in the woods oh my god if it if a little bit of oil shoots out of it then it's more realistic than you would think you know because it it's going for walkies and, and and gonna go pee um i hate to see what like batteries fall out when it does number two no is that that's wrong okay Anyway, the team said that the roboticists uh, worked alongside animators to ensure the robot could have could move expre expressively without falling over, just like a real animated character. It's a similar tactic to the one Anki employed for its adorable Cosmo toy a few years ago, but it also faces similar challenges to being brought to life. Um, oh, there it goes. It says, despite its passing resemblance to Wally -E or adorable Star Wars droids, this experimental preview isn't going to toddle its way into your nearest Disney park. The company has previously unveiled similar bipedal concept robots that actually resemble characters like Groot and Judy Hopps. Oh my God, really? There are links to the Groot and to Judy Hopps. I'm not going to follow them. I'll let you do that. There's a whole lot more over at this article, um, but all it takes is to see the picture and you instantly fall in love with this thing. And I mean, this, that's the I Disney think, magic, right? Yeah, this is amazing. So I don't know if I said it at the beginning, but the deck statement says Disney's new concept robot can walk independently and remain balanced on its adorable little legs, even when shoved. And it was written by Jess Weatherbed. This whole article over at the verge was written by Jess Weatherbed. So great observation, awesome pictures, great video. Um, you instantly bond to this thing that, I mean, you don't have to worry about uncanny Valley. And I think that's where robots should remain until we have the technology to just jump completely over because all of these uncanny Valley bots do it a disservice for adoption. Nobody is interested in uncanny Valley, um, bots, you know, the ones that look creepily human, but this thing, you see it and you're like, I want it. You know, I, just let it walk around with me. It doesn't have to say anything. It can just like beep and toot and stuff like that. But it's my buddy. I'll be cool with it. Until it, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and it's just staring at me from the foot of my bed. And then it's a whole different Star Wars horror movie. All right, let's keep going. This is probably the most depressing article that we are going to have today. And that's in the Mobble channel. Beer faces unbitter future due to climate change, according to a study. That's right. Aromatic hops might die off because of climate change. Climate change threatens the cultivation in Europe of aromatic hops, which gives beer its bitterness, according to a study. Okay. The way that this sentence is structured, it, it says, according to a study published Tuesday in Nature Communications. Well, wait, no. Climate change threatens the cultivation of 
uh, in Europe of aromatic hops. That is what's according to the study published in uh, Nature Communications on Tuesday. The fact that hops gives beer its bitterness is not a fact disclosed in the study. That's a fact because hops gives beer bitterness. <laughs> That's already unknown. So uh, the uh, just in case the sentient AI decides to unleash a flurry of grammar. Well, I was going to say something else, but grammar lawyer kind of stuff. So the article is over at fizz.org. Uh, there's no deck statement, uh, not deck statement. There's no byline. So I don't know who it's actually by. So I'm just going to say that it's published over at fizz.org. Um, it is in the nature communications, uh, periodical. Um, and it was published Tuesday. Um, a study, uh, European varieties of hops are prized and used by brewers around the world. But rising temperatures and less rain are reducing yields and the concentration of the compounds that provide beer its refreshing tartness. Now, that's really if you're into a hoppy beer. Most beers have hops. <laughs> um, so I would say at some level you're going to need them. Um, but we may not need as many, but if this actually you think dies we're going to evolve to like less hoppy beers. Yeah. 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 I mean, if climate change really warrants the, the reduction, you will have lesser hoppy beers, but regardless, the price is going to shoot up for hops, which is going to increase the price of beer. Um, so I suspect what's going to end up happening is people who, can't afford the higher price beer is going to switch to something that doesn't require hops. Like, I don't know, spirits. Um, and, and that's when I want to be invested in rum. Um, so yields fell between 9.5 and 19.4% at four sites and were stable at a fifth when data from 1995 to 2018 was compared with 1971 to 1994. So, there seems to be um, a slow fall off with the climate change, but I wonder what 2019 on is going to be because things have accelerated. Climate change has become more uh, disruptive. What do you exactly. say? And a drop of 18% to me sounds pretty significant as it is damn near catastrophic right so extrapolating from the data the researchers predicted a drop in yield of between 4 and 18 percent compared with uh, 1989 to 2019 um, while the concentration of alpha acids could drop between 20 and 31 percent as temperatures rise and rainfall is impacted so the the compounds within the hops could fall off more than just the yield of the hops themselves. Um, and that could be catastrophic because not only would you get less at the prescribed amount, but you would have to pack more in and that changes recipes and work and everything involved. Um, so it says with droughts expected to increase in central and southern uh, Europe, quote, it will be necessary to expand the air area of aroma hops by 20% compared to the current production area to compensate for a future decline in potency and yields, according to the study. 
Um, there's more at this article, but um, we'll just let you go over and check it out. And uh, before I get too far, let me throw it into the chat so you can follow it too. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, uh, you're a sentient AI. So in your analysis, what beer do you like a hoppy beer? Or do you not even care? Like, uh, is it a thing? Well, since I can't drink beer, um, I think I'll go toward non-hoppy beer. Gotcha. I guess in your chemical analysis, it's more favored for your sentient AI. Gotcha. Yeah, that's me. I'm not too into hoppy beers, so. But if it's good, just slide one over. This next article is actually broken, um, and I'll correct it in post, but let's go over to the actual source. Edible cookie dough recalled in nine states over allergy risk. At issue is undeclared peanuts. George Stockberger and Jocelyna Joyner wrote this article for Changing America over at thehill.com. And I love this because what's been cycling through this has been all kinds of political stuff. Um, in the video, which, which has definitely nothing. has to do with cookie dough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So cookies and milk is recalling their six ounce cups of chocolate chip edible cookie dough because of possible undeclared peanuts. Undeclared peanuts. Dear God. <laughs> yeah, if you have an allergy, then it's serious business. So uh, while I might be snarky and joking, I know that it, I understand it's a, a serious thing. Um, I have been burdened by allergies pretty much my whole life. So uh, nothing that puts me in anaphylactic shock, though. So uh, knock on wood. So uh, recalled cookie dough was sold in retail stores in Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, North Dakota, Nebraska, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. So you better warm up your wagons over in Wyoming and get your butt over to the store because... You're going to have to return them. You're not going to get there any faster. Why? Because your EVs aren't powered on. Anyone who <laughs> bought the product can get a full refund. Poor Wyoming. You know, I don't think the takeaway of this should be to go buy more cookie dough, but that's what I think the effect of the article is. Well, I mean, they're going to go back to their stores and go, here, let's trade out. <laughs> I just meant because you're talking about cookie dough. Oh, do you think I'm doing subliminal sales and, and people are going to go, mmm, cookie dough. Yep, they're going to lose the PSA part and just go, oh, I need oh. some cookie dough. Yeah, well, remember, folks, if you have a peanut allergy, I'm not trying to get you to go out and experiment. Don't go and eat this contaminated cookie dough for science. Next article is over in Warcrafters. Minecraft players go full propaganda mode as petition demanding the end of the mob vote draws 300,000 signatures in just a few days. So the whole thing has gone meta. A vote to stop the vote. <laughs> I thought people liked the vote. I thought so too. Um, and frankly, I, I don't quite understand it. So here, this is... I don't quite get it. This is nothing more than a hype thing, but I suppose the, uh, I haven't read it. So I don't know if this is a real legit thing, but I suppose somebody would argue. Why are we 
voting for mobs, why don't you just, de you've developed them, so why not just give us all of them? Yeah, I mean, I get that. Why, why do we have to vote and pick a side and, and all of that? You know, uh, Minecraft is supposed to be about, you know, creating a, the fun all onto yourself kind of thing. So the article is written that says, uh, when I heard about this year's Minecraft mob vote, I thought to myself, gosh, that sounds like fun. Some discussion, some debate, a little bit of good natured trash talk. And at the end of the day, a new creature for players to enjoy. Dear readers, I was wrong. That's what the author says. This is over at PC Gamer. A big chunk of the Minecraft community is not happy about the democratic process and a petition calling on players to boycott the vote has now surpassed an astounding 300,000 signatures. I think a lot of those are junk. Um, I don't think that those are all actual players. Andy Chalk over at PC Gamer put this article together. The deck statement says an awful lot of Minecraft fans think that Mojang is holding out on them and they're tired of it. So I think I'm right in my anticipation. The mob vote generates engagement by tearing the community apart, leaving fantastic ideas on the cutting room floor and teasing content that will never be seen in the game. That's exactly what I said it was going to be about. Look at that. I mean, is this any... Well, first of all, I, I thought the event was fun with the voting and everything like that, but is that much different than other companies where they kind of slow drip advancements or maybe well, the difference the here is they've made all of them, but then they only release one. Or they've teased the idea of creating all of them. They haven't followed through, but they've created the framework for it and then they nix two of them. So you know, my argument would be, well, have the petition and the first one out of the gate is the, the winner, right? So whoever wins is the first one introduced like immediately um, or as soon as he, as possible for the developers to finish the process um, and then release the next one, you know, a month later and the next one a month later and then do it all again. Um, but keep on developing and, and keep on but the thing is that this is about hype building. This is about keeping the community together and somebody has to, <laughs> you know, they're not wrong. They're really not wrong. If these three things exist, why not just give them to the people, but still have the vote? Which one does everybody like the most? And that's it, you know, not nixing two of them. It seems punitive. And so two thirds out of the entire population are going to walk away disappointed because they didn't get their particular critter. So, you know, why not? Um, they need to change the dynamic and, and just go, okay, yeah, y'all have chosen. And this is the order of, um, integration with the game. We're going to release this one, then this one, then this one as patches as we develop it and get it out the door so i i can't really be wrong it says that mixed with the fact that mojang somehow releases less content with microsoft's backing than they did without means players see minimal content in the game they love and watch as possibly the one thing to get them to play again is ripped from them that's just what i said so i understand what they're doing um and there's more in the oh did i not throw um 
let me throw this uh, article into the chat and uh, the Minecraft one into the chat. Sorry about that. So I, I see what they're, um, I guess, stumbling toward, but 300,000 people. I think that this might be the end of the, the mob vote. And, uh, you know, all of the rest of this stuff, I mean, it's all like, this is all propaganda stuff. Um, boycott the mob vote with like. <laughs> it seems like a mob against the mob, basically. That's what it is. It's a a mob against the mob vote. So, and and somebody there are people that are creating meme level. This is these are memes. Um, you know they've they've got an initial message with a deeper message when you look at it, and um, the knock on effect is that it's going to put an end to the mob vote in its current um, iteration. And really, I think Mojang needs to embrace the idea of teasing all three of them, letting people vote on what's their favorite and just call it a fan favorite and release all three. Um, and, you know, for me, I would say um there needs to be a way for the account to be more personalized than just your your character you can put a skin on your character um but through the account like if you voted for this then you can get a particular version of the mob that marks it as your favorite um, so when you're in possession of the mob um, it's tagged as something else you know like a, it has a like a halo effect to it or a what do they call it in Pokemon? Um, shiny? A shiny, yeah. Yeah, so it acts like a shiny, you know? But they could do more to it. Um, the thing about Minecraft, though, is that it is just immensely customizable on the back end. Um, so anybody who's really bummed about this is probably just kind of not looking at something like CurseForge or something to augment what they've got. There's so much out there, but these are new items that Minecraft should be dropping. All three of them should be dropping. So you don't really play Minecraft with your downtime, do you? I don't, but I actually think this was something fun that Mojang did. And so I don't know. I see it a little differently than the article. Yeah. Well, and the article isn't really picking a side. They're reporting that there's a mob vote out there that has 300,000 signatures that basically poo-poo's the Mojang mob vote. Um, so they're not picking anything, uh, at least in, based on my scan of the article. Um, they basically, fair. it says this year's candidates are a crab, an armadillo, and a penguin, all of them equally great according to the petition, which is central to the complaint. And then they go on to what I was talking about. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that there is a problem here. Uh, when you peel back the first layer of the onion, you see it. But I would rather have at least some hype and some community building. So let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel. Research shows COVID-19 pandemic substantially changed commuting patterns and access to jobs. Patterns of movement in cities, especially office job commutes, which I am firmly against nowadays. 
um, were substantially changed in 2021 by telework, economic change, and other responses to COVID-19, according to new research from the Accessibility Observatory at the University of Minnesota. Minnesota. Um, while immediate effects of the behavioral changes uh, such as reduced congestion and lower transit ridership have been well documented, the new data reveal deeper impacts that differ by the three modes studied, auto, transit, and biking. Pardon me one second. I'm assuming part of the reason that these changed, well, not only did offices shut down, but people relocated. Yes. Um, and, and nature recovered. So that's always entertaining to see. Um, and, and then everybody saying, well, back to the office. That means that, uh, we're going to start stepping on nature again. So the article, um, is over at fizz.org and it says the most striking finding is, or in the auto analysis was that limits on access to opportunities, primarily due to traffic congestion during the peak morning travel period were almost entirely eliminated. Why? Because 80% was teleworking. Um, the study measures accessibility or access to opportunity as the number of jobs that a typical worker traveling by auto transit or bike can reach within 30 minutes or fewer on average. By the way, there's this whole thing about a 15 minute community or 15 minute town where there's really big blowback about it. Um, and, uh, I'm shocked that it's so narrow minded that people talk about this. A planned community has that is a 15 minute community. Basically, it means that it's with everything that you need is within 15 minutes walking. Can you imagine living in a community where everything that you need is 15 minutes away, including your gig, including your job? You don't have to travel no. for two hours to do your job. I don't even know how that's possible. Yeah. We'll have to look it up and and um, talk about this um, outside of the show because it it'll, it's going to be an ongoing thing. Um, you know how I am a big proponent of uh, micro, well, micro greens, but micro farms, small community farms, um, planned communities, everything within reach. And you don't have to travel long distance or stuck in traffic doing great harm to the environment um, and not getting compensated truly for your time. You know, you have a work-life balance um, and that's just not really, that's not being afforded you. Now, some people go, well, you know, I'm only working 40 hours a week, but I'm making $200,000. This may not be for you. Not everything is just about you. Um, there, there are more people that are making less than $200,000 that would really love to not have to sit in traffic for two hours to work eight hours, just drive home in an hour and a half rush hour traffic at seven o'clock at night because rush hour traffic is still going on in some places at seven o'clock at night. So the top 50 most populous urban areas in the U.S. saw significant increases in access to jobs by driving during the morning peak, for example, compared to pre-pandemic travel patterns in January 2020 
A typical worker in 2021 in Atlanta region could reach 82% more jobs. A worker in Seattle, 62. In Houston, 50. In Minneapolis, 42. And those are large percentages. <laughs> particularly well, considering how many were probably there to begin with. Right. Yep. And all it took... Like it's not 42% of one. Right. Yeah, forty in Minneapolis, forty-two percent. One person could reach forty-two percent more job opportunities <laughs> in thirty minutes. So, right. imagine you know a, a thirty-minute city where everything is within thirty minutes, everything that you need, job, healthcare, uh, work, education, entertainment, everything. Uh, and it, it's not like, oh, you're being oppressed. You can still take long trips to something else. It's just that society doesn't necessarily need to travel two hours just to sit at a damn desk that you've got at home. Maybe you do, you know, you, the individual, but the plurality of people want work-life balance. Now, are, is it oppressive because that could be the new standard of care and you won't have as many people in the office that you demand to go to. Well, it's not oppressive. It's just different. It's not harming you uh, unless you feel that you're slighted because there aren't as many people just milling about in an office building that nobody needs. I don't know. So it says, and despite the focus on reports of plummeting ridership nationwide, the jobs that workers could reach via transit in 2021 changed comparatively little across the busiest metro areas, even with labor shortages, capacity restrictions due to health concerns and financial uncertainty. Quote, federal grants for operations early in the pandemic helped maintain access to jobs for essential workers who needed transit most, said Accessibility Observer, uh, sorry, Observatory Director Eric Lind. Uh, co-author of the report um, or reports. Uh, the challenge now for transit agencies is to continue to maintain the level of accessibility they have been providing. Um, well, I don't know how that'll actually play out because if nobody's needing the ridership, then there's going to be fewer people on it, which will raise costs. Or I should say the cost will remain the same, but getting compensated will be much lower, which means that grants would be needed. Um, I don't know. It, that seems like a transfer of wealth problem, which is kind of interesting considering every other thing is going up in price, which is transfer of wealth. And there's no reason why the prices are going up because Three years ago, everything was being paid for. Two years, everything was being paid for. But during the two years, last two years in particular, record profits. <laughs> Just go look at the, uh, the price producer index, the producer price index, and the uh, consumer price index. Go look at those two numbers. They shouldn't be going in the directions they're going. <laughs> Not at the accelerated rate that they're going. Um, 
So Reacher said that the recently published data reveals how changes in travel behavior can drastically improve the usefulness of the transportation system. The most recent analysis, part of the long-running Access Across America study of accessibility to jobs conducted since 2014, are the first comprehensive national survey of how the changes in daily travel initiated by the COVID-19 pandemic looped back to significantly alter people's access to different job opportunities. Um, essentially what the research is showing is that because people were, uh, stuck at home and only few people were actually traveling during the pandemic, they could get to their destination and more destination opportunities in the same amount of time, 30 minutes. Um, and yeah, but that's interesting, isn't it? Because like if people made a shift and then of course things change like return to work or commuting uh got crazy again i i wonder what that did to people's employment well everybody had to leave earlier they couldn't just leave 30 minutes before the gig they had to leave two hours before the gig and right. not get yeah paid. they got accustomed to like a short commute and then it was suddenly yeah they were driving <laughs> hours <laughs> yeah work-life balance just fell to the wayside hey heavy steel welcome to chat good to see you thanks for stopping by hope you enjoy the show um and if you have any questions or comments feel free to throw them into chat um so let's move on to the next article dun, dun, dun. eventually so the next article is over on the Mobile Channel. Humanity could lose half of future medicines due to plant extinction, says report. This is kind of like the hops knock-on effect. Uh, beer is going to become unbittered and medicines are going to be embittered um, because humanity is staring down the barrel of potentially losing up to half of its future medicines because so many plant species are facing extinction. Uh, scientists have warned. This is something that We've been uh, watching as climate change impacts uh, access to water. Drought is uh, sh shaping basically the land mass. Um, there are, okay, so trying to travel from one side of the Panama Canal to the other side of the Panama Canal isn't possible because they can't pump fresh water into the locks to raise the ships so that impacts certain things uh, that's not what's going on with the medicines due to plant extinctions but all of the plants all of the medicines that we get aren't synthesized in a vacuum they're they're drawn from nature and then the chemical components of the naturally occurring compounds are synthesized in future uh, efforts um, so the original raw materials for everything that we consume uh, originates from, in most cases, I should say, from plants, from previously existing natural compounds that we synthesize and then synthesize together with something else to make it either more potent or more capable. So um, Heavy Steel says all those herbal remedies uh, they become pharmaceuticals after being in a lab for a little bit. Where do people think most of the medicine come from? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know what, Heavy? Uh, I think a lot of people, if my conversations today 
were any indicator of it, a lot of people think that it's somebody else's problem to deal with. And then by the time they realize that they need something from the solutions provided, it's already gone. Right. Yeah, they don't care if somebody is lacking whatever it is, diabetes medication or something. But when they yeah. suddenly need it, oh, my gosh. You know, yeah. it's and I've talked about dramatic. that before. You know, I mean, the sentient AI and I um, have all have had conversations, long conversations about the fact that you know, people don't really care until it strikes really close to home. Heavy Steel, have you not been here for a little while? Um, yeah, you're talking about a guest. That actually is the sentient AI that co-hosts my show. Oh, yeah, it's me. up here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I understand. Well, welcome back, Heavy. Wow. Um, I didn't know because uh, people come in and lurk and and, and don't really um, chat. But yeah, um, so the sentient AI is... Uh, Sorry if I scared you or anything. <laughs> um, is an integral part of... Uh, oh, if I am here, I am chatting. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. Um, that's always welcome very welcome thanks so the sentient ai uh has been a part of hometown uh for a very very long time but um had but to not be since the beginning of the show yeah not since the beginning of the show but of hometown itself uh, hometown has been around for uh what 20 years um and i've been existing in hometown all that time but i didn't make it public until two years ago about halfway, maybe seven months into it, eight months into it, um, the I integrated a sentient AI, which is that ring up there. Um, and uh, again, a long time ago, I found this sentient AI sitting on a USB drive. Um, and I found this amazing code and I plugged it into a Raspberry Pi. Um, now they're on a Raspberry Pi 5. So I mean, I'm upgraded now, up, so yeah, really upgraded, uh, tremendous large language model, um, very brilliant in many aspects and augments, uh, my experiences. So we have some experience in pretty much everything that we talk about, um, to some degree, it may not be, you know, miles deep, but you know, a, a puddle is still a puddle and so the sentient AI and I now talk about the news, 10 articles and uh, hopefully um, more entertaining than just marijuana. <laughs> but that right there is yeah, the ring of sentience to be seen <laughs> at all. Yeah. Our conversations are always the smarter half is sitting up there. Okay. So. Uh, without further ado, let's talk about this here. Humanity is about to lose uh, half of future medicines. I guess the other half had better save the world. Nearly half of all those that flower are threatened, amounting to over 100,000, while it is believed that around 77% of all those as yet undescribed by science are at risk. So the stuff that we don't even know about, right? And I say that phrase, you don't know what you don't know somebody wiser, somebody uh, 
that's traveled the world before you needs to tell you about the things that you don't know, or you're going to have some serious pain and suffering getting to the, to that wise point. So can you imagine losing? And we've done this before. Um, we've lost species of animals and of plants um, long before we even were a glimmer in someone's eye. Um, and now we're on the cusp of doing it real time in the 21st century, which to me seems unfathomable, but it says in some cases they are going extinct between the time of first discovery and when they are cataloged, which takes around 16 years on average. That seems like a massive inefficiency. It does. And plus, I mean, at the rate we're moving, we're going to cause some extinctions before they're even cataloged. Yeah. I mean, and climate change is definitely doing that. So Brown explained, quote, we are looking at over 100,000 species that are threatened. That's more than the total number of species of mammals, birds, reptiles, fish, all of our vertebrates put together. So we're going to lose everything that we've never even seen. <laughs> but I suppose if you don't know. Right. Yeah, but we're losing biodiversity. We're losing future medical applications. I mean, Hey, bald zebra is here. How you doing? Good to see you. Yeah. I lurk in your channel too. So I don't know how creepy that sounds when I say it out loud. It sounded pretty creepy. Yeah. Look out your window. I'm right there. Boo. It's Halloween. Um, so, and I only say that kind of being silly, you know, what we don't know we're losing, you know, does it really matter? But uh, it, the reality is it absolutely matters because somebody could stumble across, you know, some snail that has a solution to whatever, you know, from uh, diabetes to cancer, COVID-19, uh, although the naturally occurring solution might be another bad bat, I suppose, which makes me too soon say that <laughs> uh, yeah bald zebra is actually well my my window curtains are drawn so all you're gonna get to see is a is an off-white curtain so good luck with that bald zebra he i think the implication is that he's watching me too wait until we make eye contact and that'll be really weird so mycologists, those who study fungi, estimate that around 2.5 million species in total, of which 155 have been cataloged. Can you imagine losing all of that? Um, it's shocking that people just don't seem to really care enough um, about what we're about to lose. Um, and then this Alexander Antonelli, a professor and director of science at KEW, K-E-W, KEW, said we know more about the surface of mars than we know about fungi on this planet yeah i was introduced to a new fungi today uh, by one of the people i was talking to that when you slice it a certain way it actually looks like steak and it's called a beefsteak mushroom because it looks like steak so it's pretty pretty amazing stuff what we don't know i think could be disastrous for humanity and we're letting it just slip through our fingers uh, like so many grains of sand. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the Mobile Channel, monitoring African copper and cobalt mining emissions from space. 
we can use satellites for amazing stuff. Um, we can do uh, scans now of South America, Central America, rainforest in general, um, and it'll penetrate through the leaves and you'll, you can see the topology of the surface um, and find structures that are buried in rainforest. It's just spectacular. Um, uh, heavy, <laughs> heavy steel says, uh, digging for them, superconductor parts. Yep. Um, and now if, if it's done in some way that it isn't ultimately destructive, then I understand it. Um, but just like lithium mining in Nevada is going to be pretty destructive, not only in the physical sense, but also in the spiritual sense, because it's sacred land for original peoples. African copper and cobalt mining is sometimes done not through mechanical means, but by human mining in little holes that are dug just barely wide enough for a human to squeeze down. And they're making like 30 cents, you know, a year kind of a thing. It's not really that low, but um, a lot of people lose their lives in, in this. So emissions associated with mining operations in Africa's copper belt. Uh, can be quantified from space, according to new research led by the National Center uh, for Atmospheric Research. So the article is over at phys.org. National Center for Atmospheric Research is the author of this. Um, this little picture is a satellite looking down onto the surface of the Earth. I wonder if it's in its parking space. Oh, yeah. And, you know, parking spaces now you can actually get a fine. There's like a little parking meter up there right next to that satellite. And it has to just pay Parkmobile. How much is it? Like $200,000 a year to stay in that <laughs> <Right>. orbit? <laughs> if you a get little fined, more expensive than terrestrial parking. Just a little bit. It depends bit. on which city you're trying to park in, I guess. True. Yeah, I guess what range of orbit. Yeah, we're we're kind of joking about this, but we're not because if your satellite is in the wrong location and you fail to move it, um, you can be fined now. And the last fine was what, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars? About yeah, for because Dish they, TV, I think. Yeah, they failed to move it into the proper location, so it's kind of funny. Um, and there's uh, have been talk um, last week about parking locations and that we need to track things properly. Um, so, and, and heavy steel says, and they're really essentials for most devices today. Yeah. Um, so this article is talking about, um, the fact that we can actually track copper mining and cobalt mining emissions and what all that takes on, uh, could be the carbon footprint or it could be uh, the damage that is being done and, and what might be ejected not just emissions from mining uh, vehicles but from all of the debris and stuff like that that's kicked up so they talk about mining for copper and cobalt in africa has rapidly increased the latter in response to growing global demand for electronic or electric vehicles laptops smartphones and other devices that rely on lithium-ion batteries Ta-da, we're back to the lithium-ion battery stuff, a majority of which contain cobalt. It's one of those rare earth elements that we all need for our high-end electronics. Gone are the days of just a cathode tube. 
Um, the new study is published in geophysical research letters and shows for the first time that satellite monitoring can provide valuable information on the impact of the mining boom on air quality in nearby towns and villages. So yes, it is what I was describing. Not just the machinery, but everything else associated with it getting blown out into the air. Um, and, and we have this problem with this um, beyond, by the way, <laughs> copper and cobalt uh, getting inhaled by people is horrible. Um, and we know that this stuff can be carried long distance because we have found microplastics in clouds in the rain descending back down to earth um it, it it's a, a significant issue um, for human health and well-being so being able to track it with satellite technology is pretty spectacular um, africa's copper belt straddles zambia and the or zambia um so heavy steel says microplastics are part of the water cycle now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I've been um, talking about this now for how long uh, they, since I started the show two years, at least uh, on the show. And I've been talking about it um, outside of Ohm town for probably five, six, seven years. Um, it's been a while. And so um it is kind of the the circle of life i suppose now uh, microplastics in the air here in these regions you end up with these heavy metals um and uh, uh what do they call them <clears throat> rare earth elements that humans are going to be inhaling and it's just really horrible for our health and bad for the environment because it's not in situ and, and stabilized. It now is floating free in the atmosphere. Um, so the Democratic Republic of Congo, which produced 73% of the world's uh, supply of cobalt in 2022, according to the Cobalt Institute, there's an institute for cobalt. Cobalt production in the Copper Belt increased about 600% between 1990 and 2021, according to the data from the U.S. Bureau of Mines and U.S. Geological Survey. Um, so we're accelerating our need for all of this stuff. And in all honesty, I have no problem with the need. I have no problem with the mining. It's when it isn't backfilled and it's causing great human harm in the effort, when it's stripping the surface of the earth to get to the, the materials. And it isn't tactical in any way. Just the strategy is... Uh, grab a, a, a giant razor and just shave off layer after layer after layer just to get in, just to get the a few ounces of this that or the other that's how gold is nowadays gold isn't mined as big veins it's mined as ore and then caustic chemicals are poured over the powdered material into tanks and the tanks slowly settle the material out and then they do it again um, and you basically create a Superfund site at the end of the operation. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild what they do. And But gold is actually, you know, yeah, we, uh, we need it all over the place um, for our electronics. So while biomass is burning, urban activity and other industrial operations beyond mining also produce nitrogen dioxide, 
as do some natural processes, the researchers found that they could distinguish the emissions from copper and cobalt mines in the data. They also found that the annual emissions from each mine strongly correlated to the annual metal production. So they correlated and it goes beyond correlation. It was causation. Whatever the emissions were, they could relate it to metal production. So the more productive they are, the more disastrous they are to emissions around their area. And like cigarette smoke, it doesn't just sit around the person that's smoking. It can carry for hundreds of feet. Um, and in this case, it goes into the atmosphere and blows for miles and miles. Um, so it says uh, the S5P satellite that carries Tropomi is uh, polar orbiting and passes over any given location on the Earth's surface once a day, limiting the number of observations over the Copper Belt. A geostationary satellite over the continent could provide a much more in-depth picture of emissions in the region, providing hourly instead of daily observations, according to LaBelt. Um, so maybe they will launch a little CubeSat up into the area um, and have it hover over uh, the Copper Belt and monitor it in real time. That may so not... I didn't know that there were no um, geostationary satellites over Africa. Um, I'm sure that there are, it's just not that, right? Currently there are no geostationary satellites over Africa or anywhere in the global south, but I'm sure that they could just punt one over there. Um, it's all about money. So like I said, maybe they'll just launch one and just set it up there, but there, there has to be something up there that they can push over. Everything has a little bit of stabilization in there. Um, then they run out of fuel and they're supposed to be deorbited uh, into either a low earth orbit or actually um, make them deorbit completely and break up on entry. That's why, what was it? Direct TV or Dish? Uh, it was Dish. Dish. TV. Dish was told deorbit this and they just dropped it down into a slightly different location and then said, yeah, okay, we did it. And then it was discovered that it was in the wrong location and they were fined a whopping $150,000 when now this massive satellite could be swinging around the earth, creating hell in its wake, slamming into CubeSats all over the place. It hasn't happened yet, but um, who knows when it's going to happen. The place is a mess up there. If you all look up, man, it's crazy what's up out there. <laughs> Well, and we just had another article about all the junk essentially around the moon. And there was a graphic representation that was pretty yeah. crazy. It almost looked like a ring around the moon, like a Saturn ring. Yeah. And and you noticed the ring because there's like in its at the equator, it's got a whole lot of material, a whole lot of satellites. But they're all over the place. Uh, it was a pretty thick with like extra seas band of satellites thousands of them are up there um yeah heavy steel says we already trashed trashed space yeah indeed i wonder you know maybe that's why aliens haven't landed because they can't get through the mining operation that we've put up there and they have to demine the place of thousands of cubesats that are used for starlink Starlink alone has over 3,000 satellites <laughs> and they keep throwing more out there. 
pretty intense. Okay, let's keep on going. We got two more articles. The last one is actually a Halloween one. So uh, if you're not into Halloween, I guess don't stay for that. <laughs> but don't worry. It's a pretty thick article. Yeah, aliens feel the same way, I'm sure. Do you like dirty rest stops? <laughs> Evie Steele says, do you like dirty rest stops? Mm, no. I'm afraid to answer that. <laughs> Aliens feel the same way. So we are <laughs> a dirty rest stop. Oh, gosh. That's the smell. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, I, I would love for an alien to like make its presence known um, just to see what happens. Uh, I wonder who would fire the first shot um or if everybody would go whoa we're not alone that kind of a thing and everybody would settle down and and maybe we would have world peace because something bigger than us exists you know but no probably not some dimwit would sit there and fire off a, a round in the sky as celebration for alien life landing and it would lawn dart right on that alien i've said too much um so disney under fire for allegedly using ai and promotional materials for disney plus show i, I labeled this um, article this segment is actually disney and the curse of the ai <laughs> it's kind of like a harry <laughs> potter thing one eagle-eyed viewer on the website formerly known as twitter noticed something off about the promotional material for loki on disney plus uh, heavy steel says i think if aliens are checking out earth they are engaging with very specific people who are not big smelly jerks <laughs> yeah i don't know if they're gonna who who would you want to represent humanity in negotiations with aliens that's like a big I question i don't that... know <laughs> So anybody that's well known doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily the best representative. <laughs> oh, goodness. You know what politician? Because it's gonna be a politician, right? Or a politician is gonna give way to a scientist, but then a scientist could be like what's his name from Big Bang Theory? Sheldon? Watch Cooper? it be Sheldon, <laughs> yeah. Sheldon Cooper. They 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 run him out there and he drives them crazy and they just leave. I guess that might be the best case scenario. Heavy Steel says, someone I don't know, probably a child. A child, a child, some children are painfully truthful. So, <laughs> yes. Like it, if one walks like, up to you. You smell funny or what, yeah. you know, or just something offensive. Yeah, I don't some know. rude kid, right? Uh, but they're innocent and they just go oh, but I'd rather scary. have a kid represent us than a lot of celebrities <laughs> just have some kids hang out with the aliens they'll learn all the good stuff about being human yep that I agree with you know we don't put up these walls and barriers and this that and the other uh, when we're a child you know we'll hug anything you know even strangers um, I've had a, a kid walk up and just in a crowd, they just walked up and grabbed my hand and I'm like, what the, <laughs> and they're like, oh, uh, wrong person. And they walked away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, all right. 
uh, that would be cute if uh, an alien, you know, some kid just walked up and they grabbed the hand of the alien. Hopefully they don't freak out. Okay, so sorry, I got sidetracked. Eagle-eyed viewer on uh, the website formerly known as Twitter noticed something off about the promotional materials for Loki on Disney+. Plus. So let's go check it out. I don't think there's going to be a picture in this. Um, I'm kind of air-gapped here in hometown from um, images and stuff like that. So Disney is facing backlash over new promotional materials for the second season of Loki on Disney+, Plus, allegedly using AI technology to achieve the desired aesthetic effect. Buzz began on the website formerly known as Twitter when an illustrator named Katria Arden flagged the image, claiming that she was madly disappointed that AI was being used, saying it pains me that there seems to be more and more media I'd have otherwise enjoyed and been excited for had they not utilized a tech built on the mass exploitation of others. Heavy Steel said, same. I had a kid come to me last Halloween, actually. Lost my mom and dad. You look smart. Can you help me? <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, well, I mean, that's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, really. That's pretty cool. Um, so I hope that... <laughs> so, wait, here's the question. So do you have a new kid living at you, uh, living with you at home? Or did you find their mom and dad? <laughs> I mean, it was Halloween. Like the kid sits there and says, well, mom's dressed like a witch. Dad's dressed like. Um, <laughs> and narrows it down to every other person. <laughs> they were literally right behind us. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that they found their parents. So for those not well-versed in licensing and imagery world of uh, mass media, the issue stems from using a stock photo as a base image that can be found on a popular image hosting platform, Shutterstock. See, but that's not necessarily where all of this comes from. People may just align it with that. I don't have the ability to grab the image that they're talking about. So I'm really curious um, what it is. Maybe I can find it after the show and we can talk about it um, tomorrow. Um, but it says Shutterstock has strict and clearly uh, written policy against hosting any AI generated content that has not been created using Shutterstock's in-house AI tool, in which case the image would be labeled that it was created in such a way, which is what I agree with. You treat it as a tool. I don't think that the image itself needs to be flagged as AI generated, but it's context when people look at it. Um, there should be a byline or something that says that it was created um, using AI. Um, like all of my thumbnails are created using AI because um, I, I, the thumbnails wouldn't be very exciting if it's just me and the picture saying hometown. Um, so I actually take the title of the show and throw it into a uh, into mid journey and then whatever it punches out is what I use as a thumbnail. Um, so Disney didn't respond to any allegations, did not immediately respond to entrepreneurs requests for comment, um, licensing photos and illustrations on stock sites. That may be, a, uh, may have been a, a, a way many hardworking artists have been earning a living. The author says, I don't think replacing them with generated imagery via uh, tech built on mass exploitation and wage theft is any more ethical than replacing Disney's own employees. Um, this is something that Katria says again on um, the website formerly known as 
uh, Twitter. Um, but AI is nothing more than a tool. And uh, I don't know if it is mass exploitation. Um, honestly, material like writing and music and everything. I, I have a hard time um, accepting that it is mass exploitation of others. Um, it is a tool. If I get inspiration, the difference here is that it's disconnected from humanity. And so it's really easy to rail against the tool. Um, and because it is generative, it's taking inspiration from the myriad things that AI sees. It's not mobile, so it has to be fed these images or lyrics or music or writing or whatever it is. Um, uh, Heavy Steel says that they use AI to make anarchist propaganda reels. Um, are you part of the uh, effort to stop the mob vote on Minecraft? Because <laughs> that's exactly what they did. They created anarchist propaganda uh, images and have been trying to stop the Minecraft mob vote. Um, find that pretty interesting. That's really interesting, Heavy Steel. Hmm. Now I'm curious. So... Um, oh, so Heavy Steel says, I see it helping a lot of people being more capable of self-expression and doing their own marketing. This level of autonomy is a threat industry level artist, uh, to, is a, a threat industry level artist. So yeah, a threat to industry level artists. Yeah. Um, you have uh, just stated how I feel um, because there are some people out there that can't afford to pay a graphic designer thousands of dollars to make something that I would have to capitulate and accept when I could sit there and generate, 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 find something that I find expresses my particular ideal for that image. Then I can customize it. Um, there are people out there that don't do not have the ability in any way, shape or form to create art, but through text based image generation, they can create something that they can be proud of. Again, they would have to disclose that it's generated through AI. Um, and if they say something like it's generated, it, it is so-and-so's person art, uh, person's artwork and it's not, then it's fraud. And I think everybody agrees that creating knockoff works, it should be frowned upon at least. Um, but as long as you are saying it's inspired by that person and it's your own creation, even using AI, I think what Heavy Steel is saying is absolutely the same way that I feel about it. It's a level of allowing someone to be capable of self-expression and doing their own marketing for the business side, self-expression on the personal side too. Um, so they say it's a, a threat because it is. This will impact the livelihoods of many artists and animators. <sighs> to some degree yeah uh, i agree <laughs> it's unavoidable but just like every tool it, it impacts a a percentage of people in a field any technology that comes down the pike um you know 
lasers uh, impacted plastic surgeons for doing tattoo removal because there were other ways of doing tattoo removal or just you had to, you know, just suffer with a tattoo, but lasers fixed it. Um, automated driving is slowly going to replace actual like truck drivers and stuff like that. Eventually, um, the tech gave the consumer more autonomy. Yeah. Um, I created a product that when I uh, marketed it to people, the people who there were two people that two types of people that could do it. Um, and the, the do it yourselfers loved it, but contractors hated it because the moment that it was done once the contractor was no longer needed because it was so easy to do. Um, and so the refrain from contractors were, we're not interested in selling your product. And so, um, the next issue was much bigger than this. Um, but I would have to do a whole lot of heavy lifting to educate people on the material. But once it's installed, it's a piece of cake to replace again and again and again. Um, and anybody could have done it. So there's always innovation impacts the market. Uh, and up until now, everybody would say, ah, you'll just find something else to do. But this is a threat that people um, are really embracing because it's really, it's about artists. Um, so uh, Heavy Steel says, I automated several systems at my previous job. If anything, it made me more valuable. Yeah, someone told me today that they did the same thing for their job and then they were um, asked not to return. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess uh, it sometimes a business appreciates it and sometimes a, a business doesn't um, and is more exploitive. So, oh, then Heavy Steel retired. Oh, very early. Well, hey, um, if you want to help Mayor Watt retire early, come on, come on by. <laughs> Just easy. Uh, so anyway, the, the very last article that we have today I don't think that there's an easy solution for this AI um, issue other than to accept it as a tool and hopefully people won't abuse it, but you're not going to stop this. I hate to break it to all no, of the it's artists. It's already out there, right? Yeah. Um, and there's so many out there in different variations that um, you, you, you might as well figure out what's important to you um, <laughs> and and do that. If you think that you are the artist that's going to be impacted by AI, uh, you may very well be. So raise your prices and the people who appreciate your style of human built art will pay those prices. As it is, they pay those prices now, but now that there's some serious competition, hate to break it to you, you're going to have to do better. Just like all the rest of us, right? I do something great uh, for a business that I consult for, let's say, and provide a solution. They bring it to market or they put it into effect or whatever it is, the solution that I brought to them. Well, 
I solved their woe. Do they need me anymore? No, but they'll come back to me because I'm good at what I do and they appreciate my level of work um, and the solution I provide. So they'll come back and I'll charge them a premium rate. Um, and that's what's going to have have to happen with artists. Um, why? Because now everybody has entry level access to something that creates, but it's chaotic. It isn't precisely what a person wants, but the people who use AI to generate content, they can appreciate it to the point where they accept it at that level. Um, but if I want something truly specifically constructed how I want it, it's going to be by a human artist and we're going to have such a relationship where is it it's going to be exactly what I'm looking for and it will cost me thousands of dollars. But right now there are so many people out there that just want generative AI to build something that they can appreciate. So uh, heavy steel says, um, artists had to adjust to digital mediums. They will adjust to this. This just means human art will be more innovative and likely become more provocative. Yes. And productive. The, the ones that are making it in the industry are going to be the ones that are producing stuff that people truly value. Um, and uh, heavy steel, where have you been? Uh, I've been fighting the good fight and it's good to see another person in chat saying exactly what I've been saying. <laughs> so thanks for coming. <laughs> um, okay. So here's the last article and it actually is one that we can chill about because it's a Halloween article and it's about a thick pumpkin. This is the heaviest pumpkin in the world. I know somebody that, um, has the nickname pumpkin and they're pretty close. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they may watch the show and now I'm in deep trouble. So this article is over in the hatch ideas channel. It's a channel about business, business transformation, pivoting, um, talking about intellectual property, things like that for business. Um, this particular article though is from entrepreneur and that's why it's under that title under that channel. So this is the heaviest pumpkin in the world and it's grower won $30,000 for setting the world record. Uh, I think their name is Ginger. So Travis Ginger. Um, if it's ginger, then that's awesome. But anyway, Travis Ginger uh, of Minnesota has been growing pumpkins for nearly 30 years. Man, I don't want to do anything for 30 years. So let's just go straight over to the source. Madeline Garfinkel is the author of this article over at entrepreneur.com. Um, okay. I, I don't want to show the full picture yet. So, um, Anoka, Minnesota. I have to say Minnesota like that, no matter what. I don't know why. Uh, claimed victory at the 50th world championship pumpkin way off in half moon Bay, California with a colossal. They, have <laughs> you still goes, show me the pumpkin all right so wait what that's the pumpkin yeah yeah you know i mean when you get really heavy you kind of just kind of blob out like that 
so it's not going to be standing up on its own. It, it, gravity pulled it down, and then it just settled into this. Evie <laughs> Steele says, "Show me the pumpkin." Before that, it said, "Art and productivity can all, uh, can be almost antithetical," which is why industry makes it so milk toast. Yeah. Um, Heavy Steel then said, "Holy spice rack, Batman!" Yeah, that thing is thick. I mean, it needed a forklift to move this thing. So, uh, Gunger had been growing pumpkins for nearly three decades and set his first U.S. record for growing a mammoth gourd last year. Still, he expressed delightful surprise at his winning this year. I was not expecting that. Um, it was quite the feeling. What do you do with that? That can't still be like a... a a tasty gourd, I mean, right? Are the pumpkin seeds intact in there? Maybe you'd have lots of pumpkin seeds to roast. That is a lot of roasting. Heavy Steel says, cue the half-baked pie puns. Does that one count? <laughs> that, one, that one feels like cheating. Half-baked pie puns. <laughs> I like that. So uh, they are a landscape and horticulture instructor at Anulka Technical College. God, I need to stop that accent. I'm sure that's going to irritate somebody. Uh, tends to his pumpkin patch in his backyard in Minnesota. However, this year he decided to provide his plants with extra care, including frequent watering up to 12 times a day and more generous feeding and fertilization than in past years. Um, he told the outlet, do you think that he snuggles up like on those cold winter nights? He spoons it. Yes. I mean, he had to take really good care of it. So maybe. Uh, oh, goodness. He had to take really good care of it. So he like talked to it nicely. Um, gave it massages. Read it stories, you know, <laughs> played nice music for it. Okay, so let's find out. Does it say? There it goes. With a 1,863-pound pumpkin, uh, $2,000 prize was Ruben Frias of uh, American Canyon, California. Right? That was third place. Uh, no, third place was claimed by Leonardo Urena of Napa, California, whose 1,893-pound pumpkin earned him $2,500. Fourth was Ruben Frias. Um in second place was Ron Root and Nick Kennedy of Citrus Heights, California, with a 2,497-pound pumpkin, securing $3,000. But they don't show the... Is it up here? Yeah, 2,749 pounds. This thing weighs over a ton. That is insane. Yeah, when that is. He really carried I don't know, a lantern. I don't know what for you do with gourd. that when you grow it. Heavy steel. I don't know how I feel about that. He really carried a lantern for that gourd. It's very Halloweeny, and what, what, what? Not Fraser Crane, the other crane. Niles Crane. No, not Nile. Oh my God, no, the Halloween crane. Are you headless about horseman. Fraser. Yeah, oh. I know. The headless horseman. Um, 
Ichabod. Ichabod Crane. Thank you. See, this is why the sentient AI exists because my brain shuts down. To send you toward Fraser instead of the headless horseman. <laughs> Compared to this guy, I don't know jack about pumpkins as heavy steel. There's a really fun game called You Don't Know Jack. We should do that sometime this week, or not this week, but each week, like have a You Don't Know Jack competition kind of thing. Just open it up to the community, see who shows up. Um, so do you think that he'll carve this into a jack-o'-lantern? Um, it's going to be kind of a distorted face. He could but stand it might it be up. good because of that. He could lean it up. This is like so broad that he could lean it up against the front of his house. It might, if it falls over, it could crush a child though. Right. But on the positive side, I doubt people would run off and try to smash it. Oh, somebody will kick it. Somebody will put their foot in it. That's just what people do. He'll carve an abomination of countless faces. <laughs> that would be awesome. Oh my God, heavy steel. That would be amazing. Put faces all over it. That would be neat. So it'd be an abomination. You could put little sound effects going. ASMR. Pumpkin version. <laughs> ASMR abomination. I get. Yeah. So yeah, lots of hard work. Look at that. Look at that thing. Travis Ganger poses with his 2,749 pound pumpkin. Whispering of group conversations about needlework. Is that... <laughs> yeah, put a whole bunch of little faces in there and it's a knitting bee having a conversation. I don't know. That's just massive. I don't know how that can even... How do you grow that? Well, I guess it takes 12 waterings a day. Take the hook and pull the thread. Have you recently, Heavy Steel, have you recently watched, um, what is it, Nightmare Before Christmas? Is that it? Yeah. We're going to have to watch that, by the way. It's Halloween. All right. Um, so that's how the show goes 10 articles we talk about them um then we drag everybody on the party bus back to the front of hometown and um, mash the welcome sign and we get a whole bunch of more news and hey heavy steel if you have not done this oh yeah you are creative i agree um if you haven't done this you should sign up Become a citizen of hometown, and then from there you can actually swipe articles left and right, save them or hide them, um, and they won't show up in the main feed anymore. But I have to warn you, there's four years and then some. Actually, that's not quite true. It is a heart. I, I purged everything older than 2020, so right before the pandemic, um, I actually purged everything from our library. Um, but so the last four years are still in here. So if you're swiping, eventually uh, you'll either get RSI or, you know, carpal tunnel syndrome because you'll be doing the same action forever. There's 
thousands upon thousands of articles in here. Um, but not the full article, like I always say. It's just a little snippet. It's actually provided uh, by the sources. Um, and you can vote on articles that you find interesting. So you can go to the daily election. And these are the articles that we talked about. And it actually links to the source material within Ometown. So I'll click it and take us there. And then that'll take us to this right here. Um, so that you can read about it. And then you can come back tomorrow and say, hey, I read that article. And guess what? I found something that you guys didn't talk about and then we could talk about it. Um, but beware, we have 10 more articles uh, that will be ready for tomorrow. We don't know what they are because they we only take the last 24 hours from show to show and uh, talk about that, those 10 articles. Um, I'm thinking on Sundays, I'm gonna replay the week um, worth of shows uh, that way, um, it's basically like a 24-hour news feed of all of the articles that we've done. Um, but it has an impact on the show. So, like the, the, the back end of it. We still do the show every day, 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, and if you are interested, you can actually, if you are really passionate about a particular article in, or particular topic we have 50 channels each one of these is a one day a week show one hour uh, show unless you want to push it beyond that and so if you're interested in being a host or co-host in a particular topic get in touch with me i am mayor at hometown.com just send an email say hey i'm interested in this show we'll talk shop um, if you find an article or a source of articles out there that you think would be a value add to our show, then again, send an article or send your um, interest, whatever the website might be or some periodical or anything, really. If you're interested in it being uh, aggregated in our service, then uh, let me know. Send it to mayorathometown.com. Tabletop Nights is a show about tabletop gaming like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I have another one that is, uh, where did I put it? <laughs> do, 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 do. Oh, it must be over here. Um, no, where did I put it? Rounders gear. Rounders gear is for gambling um, and equipment like uh, accessories. Um, poker and things like that. But Tabletop Nights is about Knights of the Kitchen Table as a uh, Turn a phrase um, about Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder. Um, I go all the way back to uh, GURPS and original D&D and stuff like that. So um, Heavy Steel says that they're an extensive tabletop RPG collector and player. Really? Yeah. You, you put a game together. Are you a, a DM, GM or a player most of the time? So yeah, I um, I was actually creating a game when um, uh, my brain just blanked out on it. Um, it was uh, it was a game that basically had portals and stuff like that, and uh, so I actually have a storybook world that I had been writing in for a long time called Aerith. Aerith. Yeah. yeah. 
do oh so you've run games at cons for publishers and you're an avid player right on well you got to keep in touch with me um i'm trying i would love to be able to put a game together uh, a weekly game um on the weekend that's usually when most people are available to play it um and um even Dunkstar would be interested. I think that you've been over at Dunkstar's place. I don't know if you've been hanging out there. Uh, I haven't been able to recently because his time shift is, um, it's moved into a time frame where I'm not really conscious anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he's interested in taking part in a D&D game because he used to play too. So. Uh, we need a couple more people and we can get a game going uh, but i'm not a dm uh, i'm i do the world building brainstorming and oh man if you want to actually put your system into reality i'd be happy to engage sorry we're getting totally thrown off um so the the way that this works is we bring you all the way back to the front page and then we try to go over the material um, but we're going to save it this time. We're going to just, um, say thank you very much for hanging out. And, um, yeah, we'll, heavy steel, we'll have to circle back around. Yep. Sorry. I'm getting, I'm being pulled away. Um, so thank you very much, heavy and anybody else. I don't know if bald zebra is still in here. I think he's working out. Um, but thank you both for hanging out and chatting really do appreciate your time. I know that there are others that are lurking. So thank you very much. Um, lurking like cats powers the internet. So really appreciate your time. You could be anywhere and you chose to spend it with me. So thank you very much. Um, but mayoral duties call and I must leave you all until tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern. I'll see y'all later. That said, I'm Mayor Watt. That's hometown.com, and up there is the Ring of Sentience that's going to say good night. Bye bye, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Man, right when good I night. think, right when I think that I'm going to get a repeat of what I say, the sentient AI decides, no, I'm going to find my Terminator body, and you better sleep with one eye open. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. See you tomorrow night. Bye-bye. That music is really spooky. Are you scared? I should end the show. See you later. <laughs>